Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. I'm Mike Adams. And I'm Paula Chilchik. Hey, so we got the full uh, sort of set of anecdote principles here today. So uh, we're all in different locations too. So I think Mike's down in Tasmania. Itchy's in Sydney. Mark's in Canberra. And I'm holding up the Melbourne... Uh, sort of uh, edge of this geographic spread. So today, guys, we are talking about, uh, this is our last of our conversations around our corporate storytelling paper. It's uh, It's been fantastic, hasn't it? Sort of uh, Mark and I have been listening to and, and chatting with a whole bunch of guests. It's been uh, very interesting. Um, but today uh, we're switching to a topic that we haven't covered yet which is around the use of stories in selling. And of course, we have our story-powered sales program and Mike heads that up. And, and that's where we're going to sort of um, focus our attention. But maybe just to get things going, uh, I'd love to hear Mike's take on, you know, what, what are some of the new things that you're noticing in this space of, uh, you know, the, how you apply story to a, a sales environment? Yes, well, we're learning. I think we're all learning a huge amount of uh, new things, given that we haven't been able to meet face to face for most of 2020, as we always could. And um, well, that's caused a big problem for our anecdote business since we've been a face to face delivery program. But I thought maybe I would kick off with a little um, example of a client that had an issue with um, not only how to develop their salespeople, but how to communicate more over the telephone or you know, over a video conference call rather than face-to-face. -face. So a lady by the name of Rebecca, and she was transferred to Hong Kong uh, late last year to head up the distribution and marketing for a major insurance company. She'd been working for a different major insurance company in Malaysia, and she got the opportunity to go overseas because her son finally was old enough to go and go to university in the US and that was her chance for her first international posting. And she did what a lot of sales leaders would do when they turn up in a new, new place with a new team. She got all of the team presenting to her uh, their accounts, you know, and what they were working on. And as she listened to them one after the other, her heart sank because uh, as she said in her words, they all sounded like talking brochures. They sounded terrible. And she thought, I'm not gonna succeed in my job if." if this is how they talk, you know, and she had, um, fortunately the, the, her company had done a bit of work with anecdotes. So she'd asked around and, and they got our, our coordinates. And, and I remember Sean, you and I had a chat with her and one of her colleagues. And her primary concern actually was, should she wait until they could do face-to-face -face storytelling work with her team or, or would they do the virtual? And um, I was able to show her what we were doing with coaching, with one-on-one -on -one coaching over video message, the sort of backwards and forwards coaching, and, and that got her interested enough to, to, um, to do the training virtually, which was great because I think we still wouldn't be face-to-face -face even now and maybe not even next year. As we did that, we did that as a virtual Zoom training and, and coached their team storytelling. And she told me that um, she actually contacted, she rang me up and said, Mike, it's, it's starting to work. Uh, they all work in the open area with their face masks on. And um, she said, she noticed one of the guys, actually it was mostly a female team, but one of the guys starting to talk the old way, the talking brochure way. And the, the lady next to her just sort of elbowed him in the side and says, tell a story, tell a story. And Is that so, right? 
Yeah, so she said she started to see the behavior change. And, and, and what, she, what she said to me was the storytelling had become even more important when you don't have those other ways to build rapport. Like, you know, when you go to a, someone's office and you have a little chat in the corridor before you go in for the meeting and after yeah. the meeting, all those things that really add a sense of connection without stories to help you connect, I think it's, it's even harder. So, yeah, so that was, a, I thought, a nice example of a company that, you know, had to do something and, and did and, and was surprised at how well it worked. I think uh, beefing up the richness of the interaction is such an important thing to do, you know, with stories. Um, I know it's not specifically related to sales, but I remember uh, teaching a group of gardeners, right? So these were the botanic gardens in, in Canberra, actually. And, you know, we're taking them in, in a workshop and I took them into this workshop and it was your know, standard, you know, sort of workshop room. And they're all there with their green uniforms on, with their shears, you know, sort of uh, on their side belt. And it was as if they'd lost all their knowledge. You know, they, they like forgot everything. And so within about half an hour, I realized this is really dumb. So I got them to reconvene. We decided to go back up to the gardening shed, which was your classic potting shed with a, a stand-up table with, you know, pot plants and things like that uh, up there. And it was, all, it was almost like everything came back to them, right? And so, you know, so in that case, it was the environment, which was the triggers for memory and things like that. But I got a feeling stories in themselves have a similar sort of three-dimensional response for people, right? I don't know. What do, what do you think, Mark? Do you, do you um, see that impact of, uh, I don't know, the um, you know, stories creating that richer picture? Well, certainly in terms of you know, connection, uh, uh, yeah. as Mike said, all of those little things, like our senses that we could take into a meeting and the little banter beforehand and little, it, it's like, it's just so it starts and it ends. Yeah. Like that end button is like end and it's gone. Yeah, so it's gone. Um, it. yeah. that, that ability to use a story to build rapport and connection, I think is vital. And I saw, um, well, one of the things I work on most that I kind of think about most before I get on a call is what's, how do I start? What's the connection story? And, uh, you know, I did that recently, uh, you know, talking to a senior executive, uh, I checked on LinkedIn uh, and where he's located. Anyway, I just said, oh, I've been near where you are. And uh, he said, oh, yes, uh, and got in. Anyway, worked well. Jumped on another call with one of our partners, uh, a sales call with a CEO. And because the partner had worked with this CEO a number of times, just went straight in, just bang. It was a really bad call. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that's not a pun. <laughs> bad tactic. A, a bad tactic. And I was thinking about later, why did that call go so badly? And I think a part of it was because we didn't have any rapport building at the front end, even though uh, the the partner uh, had worked, you know, had knows this CEO reasonably well. Yeah, it's interesting yeah, it's to interesting. think about the the cultural variations of rapport building because you know I've been very lucky that I've had a chance to live and work in lots of different countries around the world and and I would say that our Western 
get down to business style is, is actually the, the exception rather than the rule. The rule is much more have a cup of tea, have a drink, you know, socialize, chat, and, and don't get down to business until we're comfortable. And, and I wonder if um, the, uh, the virtual environment makes that even worse. You know, we just sort of lost that habit of taking the time to know each other before we jump into the get down to, to business. Yeah, Mike, I saw that uh, cultural difference firsthand in the, the value of story uh, working for a fund manager earlier this year, so a property fund manager in, out of Australia. But after COVID hit, they needed uh, they needed money from overseas, so they did the roadshow virtually to Asia, and they weren't getting any traction. And the fund manager I spoke to, David, he said, uh, you know, we're going through all these figures and facts and our return and our yield, but we're just getting blank stares. And so we asked him to find a little story um, of where an Asian investor invested in an Australian property fund in the past and, and had a success, a win. And he straight away remembered a client out of Singapore and got all the details of that interaction from years ago in Singapore, where he flew to, where he met them, which hotel, and then turned out very well that the, the client made a lot of money. But as soon as he started sharing that story, it's amazing how it triggered uh, different conversations on the sales calls about Singapore, about a hotel about you know fun and, and it gave credibility so that that was gold in that situation yeah it's that reciprocation isn't it it's your story reciprocating a story which gets people trusting each other and that's a huge but it, huge but it is it is interesting uh with those situations where it, it's really strongly ingrained in people's minds that you don't tell a story right that you don't have time for a story and uh, I remember just recently working with another insurance company uh, up in Hong Kong. And yeah, this, this lady was adamant that there was no way she could tell a story in a 30 minute period, right? Like she had 30 minutes to meet with the, the senior person who she had to meet with. Uh, she was selling them things and she didn't have time to. And, I, and, and it was like, it was like impossible, impossible. And I said, well, it's just a little example. You know, I'm not asking you to, you know, do a war and peace or anything like that. You know, you're just giving one tiny little example. And eventually she, even after practice, I don't think she really believed it, uh, actually. So, so, that, so there's that real um, mindset of transactionalism, if that's a word. You know, yeah, it's and, just and you go in, it's just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And when the pressure's on, they think you know people have this view that it's even more important to go transactional and yes. uh i had a, a situation maybe 18 months ago with a, talking to the ceo of a bank in malaysia one of their biggest banks and i only had 30 minutes on the call and and the, you know a lot of a lot of preamble uh and his team were in contact with me uh, via email text and whatsapp in the days leading up <laughs> And they're giving me advice on how to do it. And they're going, look, he's a Belgian banker. He's uh, facts and figures. Uh, you know, just just answer his questions. You know, give exam. Uh, sorry, not no. Don't give answer his questions. Tell him about the uh, the the process and the outcomes. But uh, look, he doesn't have time for stories. And we've tried stories on. Don't worry. Of course, I completely ignored that and just went connection story about my time in Belgium. Uh, every time he asked me a question. Uh, you know, what's the return on investment? 
oh, well, I'll give you an example from China. And uh, anyway, after about 20 minutes, he just said, I see what you're doing, Mark. Every time I ask you a question, you've got an example in response. I love it. I want all my leaders to be able to do the same thing. Let's go. And the only thing I did was use stories. So it's kind of interesting that it's a mindset thing. It is. Perspective. Yeah. I'd like to make a point about time as well. And one of my favorite lines from one of our best anecdote stories, which is where we use a case where we used all of our anecdote partner network. But Mark, you flew to New York for a meeting and the, and the client told you, I've only got 30 minutes. And you said, and 90 minutes later, we came out yeah. with a plan. And I love that because that's so typical of meetings where stories are told that the time just stretches out to what you need. And uh, uh, there's, there's normal business time and there's story time and the two are not the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, a time distortion. Correct. Yes, the time distortion factor. <laughs> one, one of the little insights I've had recently, um, I can't remember if I've actually mentioned it on the podcast, but you know, I was looking back at the Brené Brené Brown uh, Netflix special that we did that little analysis on with, and Kevin Hart, and one of the things I really noticed, and I'm, I'd love to know what you think from a sales perspective, but I really noticed that they both of them start off with small stories, really tiny stories, like we're talking 15 second, 20 second stories. Um, and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And towards the end of the interaction, or the end of their presentation in, that, in their case, they can do a five minute story. And I, I have a feeling that people mistakenly try to do the big story right up front. Like they go, I'm gonna tell you my connection story. And then they tell you this, gigantic you know historical saga and the person's falling off their chair in boredom right or just not expecting it in some way i don't know do you a do you think there's any validity to that idea of small and get bigger and is it something you ever see in salespeople? yeah um well you don't see it in salespeople because most salespeople don't tell any stories um, and the very best sellers in most organizations aren't the salespeople. They're the founders and the senior managers and the like. So, but salespeople certainly have that fear of telling stories. And if they feel that their story that they tell, their connection story that they should tell, if they think that's supposed to be their CV or some great long-winded thing, then of course they'll try it once and it won't work. And so the understanding is that the story can be any little thing that you think that's happened to you, that you think could connect you to an audience. And, and recently I had a meeting with a South African financial services team. And the only connection story I told was how we happened to be having that meet, meeting, which was a little bit of a strange sequence of people who knew each other and got to know each right. other. It probably took me 15 seconds to say it. It was a little bit amusing, but it, it kind of broke the ice and they, you know, that started the story. Yeah. So. Very and just as an, I think it's important to give an example of this because I agree with you entirely, Sean. You, if you start with a big one at the start, people are just go, "Come on, I've only got this? thirty minutes." Yeah. Um, the one I started with recently is I found out that this executive was uh, uh, he lived near Farnborough in UK. Now, so I just said, "Now, Google, uh, sorry, LinkedIn tells me you live near Farnborough, and the airport at Farnborough, the the Farnborough Air Show." I went there, I was in 1992, 93, I was uh, on exchange, uh, uh, commanding a squadron RAF line, and I got to go to the Farnsborough Air Show. Have you ever been? That was it. Yeah. And he was off, right? So yeah. these they don't have to be big things. It's just a few seconds. 
And the other another point, um, Sean, is if you are trying out lots of little stories, particularly in a sales call up front, you get a bit of a feel for what catches the uh, your client's uh, attention and what they're interested in, what triggers it. Whereas if you launch into a long story about sports, and this was on our call the other day, a webinar, someone said they, they launched into a story about sports and then the the potential sales target said, I hate sports with a blank face. And that kind of killed the whole story. <laughs> so, um, yeah. one, see what grabs their attention and then go to your story bank and think, ah, I've got a good one for this, this person. It sort of shows that that person didn't look into their prospect at all. You know, I'll, I'll give you another short, you know, one, a short one that worked well for me is I had to go and meet the CEO of Bayer, uh, the pharmaceutical company. And, so you know, I looked her up her in LinkedIn, and and she she had it was um, she was originally from South Carolina, and of course I was born in South Carolina, and that's all I did. I walked in and said, oh, "I hear you're from South Carolina. I was born in South Carolina," and then she said, "So how the hell did you get here?" And of course, that gives me an opportunity to tell a you know little story of how I ended up in in Melbourne, and and we were like old buddies by the. And that was my first meeting with her. It was, it was terrific. We ended up doing a big strategy story project for them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm this, this small story to start, especially focused on the, on the person you're meeting. I think people forget that they think connection story, it's all about me. But now you've got to focus it in on what's them, the audience, right? Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's interesting that both of those examples that you and I gave there, they were location-based ones. Um, uh, and it's locations are really good one, you know. So uh, where where are they now? Where did they where were they born? Where did they go to uni? They're all location based uh, connection yep. story opportunities. Yeah, but it's also worth pointing out that a connection story is revealing something about yourself. All that every time we tell someone something about you know about something that happened to us, we're revealing yeah. something about our character. And if I think about the classic sales training books where they talk about, you know, there's an obligatory chapter on rapport building in, in a sales training book. And, and people have been taught various things, you know, notice something in the office, the golf trophy or the whatever, and procurement managers sort of start collecting these weird things just to see if they can put the salespeople off. Um, but if you think about what's the most interesting thing in the room when you meet someone you haven't met, it's the two people that don't know each other. So what could you reveal a little bit about yourself so that they can reveal a bit about themselves this is in essence what we're trying to do with rapport building. That's what we're using the story for. And it doesn't have to be much. Almost anything that happened to us reveals something about us, even in just the way we describe it. Yeah. What about the, um, you know, if we go past rapport building and, and to the, that phase of trying to work out what they, what they really need, you know, what they really want, um, you know, we talk a lot about obviously storytelling, but probably story listening is the is the skill that you know we want them to tell stories about the issues that they're facing, right? Um, what have you found in in your work, Mike, in terms of this whole area of story listening? Yeah, well, what I've found, and this is something that's been wonderful to learn from you guys, because anecdote has such a rich history in story listening, and. You know, we, we pay lip service in sales to listening, but I have a feeling that most of our sales colleagues don't do much of it. And I think the better instruction is not to listen, but to try to seek, try to get the client's story. 
what is the story of their situation? Because in business, we tend to talk in generalities and high-level assertion and opinion, and we can easily misunderstand those. But if we can get an example from the client, we can, we can get it. I mean, a classic one that happened to me was the client said, safety is our most important priority for this tender. And, you know, everyone says that, you know, do, do they mean it? What does it really mean? But when I asked, you know, what's an example of good safety management, he actually told me a very good example of bad safety management that ended up being what won the business for me, hearing that story, what you really mean by doing it right versus doing it wrong. And so noticing an opinion, what's behind the opinion? Why do you say that? What could you give me an example? When did you see that happen? It's, it's wonderful. And of course, we're using stories to get those stories. So the, the success story that you throw out there that you can say, well, enough about them. What about you? What's going on around here? Can can get that story coming back. Yeah. So. That's, a, that's a lovely segue too. You know, just for the listeners there, it happened really quickly what Mike said, but right at the end, just by sort of saying, oh, well, that's enough about me. What, what about, about you? you? That little phrase is is one of those phrases that, uh, well, some people, it's the phrase that pays, the Americans. Yeah. So. And if you tell a success story about one of your other clients that succeeded, it may or may not be totally relevant. But if you end it the same way, enough about those guys. What's going on with you? What's happening here? That gets, and because you've told them a story that sort of seeds the sorts of things that you would like to talk about, their story that comes back is about those same things. No? So that's the way to steer them onto telling you really in detail about how things are there. And that's, that's gold for salespeople because we mostly have no idea what's really going on with our clients. <laughs> yeah, and it's the antithesis of the, uh, the salesperson who's going through obviously the, the pre-determined uh, list of questions. That's it, the questions. You know, and if they, and if they <laughs> ask you, you know, uh, and what's keeping you awake at night? Uh, you know, yeah, that's right. That's you know they've really gone off the rails. Um, I don't know. Is there is there a um, I know from Mark and Itchy's perspective, is there uh, you know sort of story listening things that have kept you in good stead? And because it's not something we talk that much about, so we should have a bit of a bit of an extension here on story listening. How about Mark? You can kick it off. I recall I was in a in a uh, a meeting, a sales meeting in Sydney, and I wasn't at all confident of getting this work. And the head guy was in there, and there was like a panel, and uh, he said something to me like, "So, why would I? Why would I go with you?" And I went, "You know." one of the reasons that you you do this with us is because we've been doing it for a long time and we've made lots of mistakes. And I gave an example of a mistake that we made. And I said, so what are, what are the things that you want to avoid here? What are the, you know, what are the things that you can't afford to go wrong? Yeah. And he goes, Oh, well, we did the ba 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 And I went, Oh, what happened? And suddenly we're into this. And like the work was pretty much one from the moment that he started telling me about the specific things that, that they were, how interesting. So we're keeping them awake at night. <laughs> yeah, without using that phrase. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I've oh. now, I, I'm, I'm going to strike that off my list of questions, by the way. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Just, gone. Gone. Yeah. Uh, what, are you, what, about, what about you, Paul? That reminds me of the um, Amazon Web Services, their sales team, uh, when I was working for them. They, they're very focused on 
finding a specific uh, customer incident or experience where something went wrong. And it's how a lot of the, the sales calls will start off with is to, is to, is to very innocuous questions, but they're all targeted at when was the last time that something caused the business to go, okay, everybody in, we've got to sort this out. And uh -huh. by getting to that disaster point or the problem point, it doesn't have to be a disaster, all these other aspects of the business come out and it's in story format because you're taking them to a specific event when something went wrong. So it's just a useful way to surface a whole bunch of things in a, in a fairly like practical but non-threatening way. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, so they're, they're trying to get a story from their prospect of something that actually went wrong. Yeah. I think the, um, you really, for that to happen, they have to have a certain amount of uh, trust in you, right? And so rapport building, like we were talking before, is going to be a big part of that. I don't think you can launch straight into it, can you? Uh, no, that's true. So. You've got yeah, you got to build that rapport. But also, um, if, if, it, if it wasn't their fault, it's much easier. So if there's a frustration that they have, right. just that something went wrong, that's always a good entry point because naturally people are very sensitive if something that was on their head that went wrong. Yeah. Uh, but if it's a frustration that they have in the business that, that normally gets them talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so important. Yeah. I love it. I love it when uh, someone you're chatting to one of your prospects, you're chatting to um, uh, sort of brings the, the volume right down and they say, almost looking left or right. And, and then they say, look, this mustn't go outside this room. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then you find out like what the hell's really going on, you know, but that usually only happens after you've done quite a few stories back and forwards. Uh, and now you're into the, okay, I'm just going to lay it on the line here. This is what's actually happening in this business. Yeah. That's uh, where the trust, the trust occurs. And, and Mike's uh, one of the things that Mike says regularly is that you can't ask these sorts of questions uh, without having some sort of uh, relationship, some sort of level of trust, because yeah. you just don't have the, you know, the permission to ask those questions and they'll tend to resist. So yeah, you do that trading backwards and forwards, as you were saying, and then you have the opportunity to get deep. I tell you what, the, you know, this online experience does it make hard, does make it harder. We have one partner in the UK at the moment. He was telling me that, um, uh, you know, at the, at the moment with Zoom calls, you're kind of scheduling them, you know. So he doesn't get to just walk into people's office and have a bit of a chat and, you know, feel out what's going on and get the sort of more informal view of, of what's happening. Every time, we, you know, they, they can palm you off, oh, we're too busy for a Zoom call, we can't schedule it. Um, I don't know. Is there any, any advice that we would give in terms of how you how you actually get around that, you know? Are we starting to become too reliant on, you know, like platforms like Zoom? There's one little trick that I just started doing recently, which is um, particularly when you've got many people coming in to start a meeting, is give yourself a chat time. So I'll say something like, look, we'll start the meeting in 10 minutes, but in the meantime, so you're sort of like you were on the call at 12, but you give them permission to just chit chat for 10 minutes by saying, we'll start at that time. And yep. yeah. So just to be a little bit more informal. Yeah. Mm. The, uh, I reckon uh, one, one technique could be to be very, you know, 1990s or two thousands and uh, actually pick up your phone and call someone. 
directly. Don't, don't Zoom. Because yeah. this, this Zoom has sort of got to a point where, you know, everything's scheduled on a Zoom call, whereas the old phone call, no one actually, really people rarely just pick up a phone and call others now, don't they? They sort of like, they text and say, can I call you? Um, so it's a, it's a different sort of culture. But I reckon if you just call out of left field, that could actually be a way to yeah. do it. Great. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, one of the other things I wanted us to have a chat about, because I know Mike's been doing some really interesting work on this, and that is just the, the role and importance of story banks, right? Sure. And because, and you know, we're, we're really building this into, you know, story-powered sales and, 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 and cohorts are walking out the door with a story bank that, and I, uh, Mike, give us a little bit of a thumbnail around why this is important and, and what we're doing there. I guess it's, it comes from a realisation I had uh, you know, when I first started consulting five years ago, uh, and that is looking seriously at retention, what do people really retain from the training? And, and I remember I called up a bunch of salespeople that I've been training and, and um, not only did they not remember anything I taught them, but they told me a couple of things that I hadn't taught them, you know, and you think, okay, well, that's <laughs> uh -oh. great. So, you know, retention is an issue for, every, for anyone, even though stories are so memorable, if you're not saving them somewhere, and if you're not asking people to have a crack at telling them, they're not going to remember that they have the story. So I believe that the reason that stories are so memorable is we replay them in our mind. But if we don't get newcomers to storytelling into that sort of repetition, a little bit of repetition of telling stories, yep. they won't remember them. So the story bank is a, essentially what we do out of the story competition. So story powered sales has workshops for learning the theory and, and it has coaching. We coach people one-on-one -on -one to tell stories, but then we have a competition and the competition, which is done on Zoom, is obviously recorded because everything we do on Zoom is recorded. And the stories at that point, which are a week or so after the last workshop, are great, are really good quality. And we capture them and put them straight into a story bank and deliver them to the client. But what I'm learning is that even that is not sufficient because unless the story bank is being used, then it sits there as a kind of a, a, a yeah. you know, it's been, we've created these stories, they're there somewhere, but people don't use them. So then what we do is with the sales leaders, and I'm doing this with our anecdote partners right now, uh, is say, okay, we're all gonna have a go at telling the company story. So you're gonna tell the company story in a minute and then tack on the end of it, your own, how did you join anecdote kind of part to it. See if you oh, can yeah. tell that in 90 seconds. And we're putting that into the story bank as well. And that turns out to be really useful for the partners, the other salespeople, because they not only hear the reference story, but they hear how other people tell it and they get like, how would I tell it? And they can see everybody doing it. So we're using the story bank as an ongoing coaching tool. So everyone gets to practice the story, their story goes in there, everyone learns from that, which is, which is gold. And that same lady, Rebecca, who, was, who I was training in Hong Kong, it often happens a couple of people quit and she had to hire a couple of people towards the end of the program. And even though that was not enough people for us to, to train one-on-one, -on -one, they did have the story bank and they were able to go and listen to the stories and learn those stories, even though they hadn't had the, the story training. So it's, it's, a yeah. huge, it's a huge tool for sales teams to, to refine their skill and to, to keep their stories. And Ichi, you're developing a, uh, helping a customer at the moment with a story bank in a totally different context 
Um, I'm thinking of the school's environment, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's right. I think uh, the listeners would find that interesting. Tell us about that. Well, this is a, a working with school, as you said, and a lot of schools or most schools have to develop a, a strategic plan of sorts of what they're going to be doing in the next few years. And very rarely do they get anyone beyond the school leadership team engaged by it. You know, we're going to be student-centered and use these learning approaches. People kind of tune out unless they actually develop the plan. So what this school has done, which has really brought that plan to life, is to collect from teachers, from administrators, parents, collect a whole bunch of stories, little anecdotes, where it actually showed a teacher doing something in action with a student um, that helped them with their learning process, that gave them a benefit. So instead of talking in these abstract, vague terms, this school, and it's, it's caught on really well. So a lot of teachers are contributing to it now. But those incidents which happen every day at school, which no one really hears about unless you're directly involved, have suddenly come to the surface. And it's, it's actually made the teachers a lot kind of a, a improved morale because they realize how many great things are being done. And also um, for the parents, it demonstrates value, which is, you know, in sales context is really important. I know school, you're not necessarily a commercial strict selling context, but what you have is the end customers, the students and the and the uh, parents, they, they're realizing all these wonderful things the school's doing just from building that story back. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. The, um, there is some friction though, isn't there, between finding a story and putting it in the story bank. You know, like even this morning I was listening to uh, Freakonomics Radio and they had this great little story about uh, Stephen Levitt, who's the sort of main economist associated with that show. And he was brought in by one of those big box retailers in America to look at whether there's a relationship between um, advertising uh, money that they spend and sales that they make. And, you know, as any was looking, he says, okay, what data do you have? He showed him the data. It wasn't all that great. He said, we need to do an experiment. Why don't we uh, take, you know, this part of your business here and stop advertising? And they went, no, you can't do that. You know, that's it's going to have so much, you know, we're going to lose so much money if you do that. And uh, so he went, oh, okay, well, I think we've got a bit of a problem. And then someone said, oh, we had that guy in Philadelphia who was so hopeless at organising the ads for a month. They didn't do any advertising. And, of course, Steve Levitt goes, oh, wow, a natural experiment, right? So they go, they sort of say, okay, go and have a look at the data. They look at the data. And um, uh, come back to Steve Levitt and they say, you won't believe it, Steve, but we had a month with no advertising, didn't impact sales at all, mm -hmm. right? And he said, oh, this is great. Well, let's start the, now that we know it happens, let's start the you know, full experiment. And they went, no way, we can't tell anyone this. Because it was these are the marketing people. If they found out that, you know, that, that the advertising you know, didn't make really any impact. They certainly didn't want the whole company to know about it. So I thought it was one of those great stories of uh, the foibles of human beings and, and you know, incentives and rewards and, and how you end up doing things which, are, you know, work against the building. Anyway, oh, I tell you all that because I thought to myself, oh, well, I'll put that in my story bank. But I haven't yet because, you know, it, it requires a little bit of effort. I mean, is there anything you're learning in story banks to get them in faster or anything like that? 
Yeah. I was just I, recording them straight off the top of my head like that as I told it. Yeah. Um, what, what I've been doing more recently is having little, almost like a campaign around a particular story or story type. So saying, okay, for this two weeks, we just do this, this thing and work on that and see who responds and, and what we can get into it. So make it more of a team activity around a story type to get things going. What sales leaders can really help if they change the way they do their monthly or weekly meetings with their teams, because those meetings tend to be, I have to say, you know, in my history as a salesperson, the most uncomfortable and, and um, least enjoyable part of the salesperson's calendar <laughs> is listening to their boss, asking them what they've just sold and what are they going to sell next. And to right. put that on its head and get the salespeople to start telling stories about what's happening with their clients and to record those stories as they're coming, if they're good enough for the story bank. So talk about a success, talk about failures, collect them up and get the team in the habit of talking in story to, in stories mm. uh, when they're meeting. Yep. Makes Well, it makes it a much more enjoyable meeting, but it's also very valuable for newer people in the team and people to share the stories. Fantastic. No, straight to the story bank when you get a good one. That's it. That's it. That's what I need to do. Well, guys, I think we've covered off quite a few interesting things in our conversation uh, around uh, you know, the use of stories in, in selling. Um, any last comments or thoughts before we wrap up this session? The uh, pick up on what Mike said, the best sellers are the people who tell stories. And it's not always the salespeople that, that are doing that. And uh, uh, it's a huge opportunity uh, to, for, for people to be better at their, their jobs um, just by using this really simple tool. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. I um, worked recently for a law firm where the head partner, I'm not going to use her real name, but let's call her Janine. She was a, a walking story bag, meaning that she was brilliant. She could capture a room. She could tell stories. And what actually happened is the rest of the partners and the senior associates were actually intimidated because they assumed she's just a naturally gifted, brilliant storyteller. And that's, you know, we can't compete with that. But what they found is they started to build their own stories. They weren't Janine's stories. They were their own ones or Janine's stories, but they were told in their voice. And it came across in a much more connected way and you didn't have to be this great performer or raconteur who just says things, you know, stories at the, on a whim. You can actually learn this skill. And that's uh, what we want to emphasize as well when it comes to, to storytelling. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. And I think that's why these exercises of getting everybody to tell the company story or a specific success story, they really work because you get all those different voices, Paul. Really like that. Uh, we have a, a YouTube channel, Story Powered Sales, and we have www.storypoweredsales.com, which will take you to all the area on the Anecdote website. A lot of material on what you can do with your teams and how you can uh, leverage stories with your selling efforts here. Beautiful. That's a good place to finish. Thanks, guys. It was always, always a pleasure to get everyone together and uh, have a good old chat about the, the role of stories. And, um, and for our listeners... Yeah, thanks again for tuning in to Anecdotally Speaking. And, uh, yeah, we look uh, forward to catching up again in the next episode on how to put stories to work.
Mark and I would just like to say thanks to everyone for listening to Anecdotally Speaking this year. It's been an absolute blast. We've enjoyed every minute of it. Lots of great stories to, to share with you. And he would have loved to have been here himself, but he's up on the Great Barrier Reef doing a little bit of diving. Uh, lucky him. But happy holidays for everyone. Hope you have a, a safe and fun break. Uh, and we look forward to you know, having you back next year, listening to more stories, building that repertoire of stories, and most importantly, bringing humanity back into your organisation through sharing stories and listening to stories. Uh, that's what it's all about. All the best. Bye now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.